You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our series in leadership with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And we'll carry on that conversation in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. All right, it's time to talk leadership with the bishop. Good morning, Bishop Hardy. Good morning. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us and spending some time with us in this series on leadership. We are carrying forward with your book, Pastoral Leadership from Concordia Publishing House. And now we're going to take a look at the next chapter, chapter four, talking about leadership and when to lead, particularly how not to lose focus when leading. So let's dig into that. I want to talk about some things that can impact leadership and focus, such as criticism or pressure or fear. How do how have those impacted you as a leader? Yeah, that, that really is a good question. I, I have to be very frank that the fears that I have in leadership have more to do with overall kind of failure, um, people leaving the church. Early on in my ministry, it was under financial pressures were the fear that I had. Little to none of my issues uh, from fear came from other people in the congregation. Granted, my, my first 15 years, I served at a, a smaller parish that had 70 to 90 on a Sunday. So the number of possible people that could, you know, impact me was far less than some of my colleagues and, and certainly far less than what I have now. But there's no doubt about it that leadership from fear is what causes a lot of pastoral leaders, I think, to follow lay people rather than to lead them biblically speaking. And that 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 is really the, the the totality of chapter four, this idea of leading rather than following others and taking a back seat to somebody else setting the vision and moving forward in ministry. But certainly fear is that single driver for pastors. And fear can be overwhelming, can be a weight for some pastors. I I've seen it happen repeatedly. So let's talk about what that fear, what does that fear look like? How does that manifest in a congregation between a, a pastor and maybe congregational leadership and, and just re- regular congregation members too? How does, how does that manifest? What does that actually look like? Yeah, I, I think I've shared this story maybe when we first discussed uh, my book, but I, when I first started, the president of the congregation came to me my first year in the budget cycle, and he told me that, that I was going to leave the meeting when the council talks about the pastor me. And I just said to him, I won't. I, I refuse to just get up, walk out of the meeting, and, and encourage the people of God to talk about me. I said, I need to hear the good. I need to hear the constructive criticism. And what I hear will only help to build me up as a leader, whether it's something I need to change, something I need to modify, or something that I'm already doing well that needs to be accentuated. Well, he got a little bit uh, testy with me, and you know, we had an, ex- an interchange and an exchange, and I just said to him, I'm, I'm not going to just willfully get up and do this. Well, we went to the meeting, and he 
just started the meeting by saying we have a tradition that the pastor gets up and leaves. But this time, Pastor Hardy's not going to do that. So, so my obstinance actually caused him to change how he operated as the president. Now, as bishop, I can give you story after story where men tried to do things like that, and it didn't work as well as it did for me. I think part of the reason it worked for me early on in my career is I was just being genuine. What I meant by that is I really believed that me getting up and walking out of a meeting to engage other people to talk about me was inviting problems that teach a culture that it's okay to talk about somebody when they're not present, especially the pastor. And and again, I I need to hear the good and the bad. So you know, I, I've had it in my own life. I can tell you on another instance where I have a pastor who was a pastor, a brand new pastor at a congregation who had very strong lay leaders, and they just railroaded him, something similar to my situation, but they just basically told him that they were not going to continue to talk until he left. And in his case, he got up and walked out, and it really sent the tone for his ministry at that place, because from that moment on, he no longer was the leader he was a follower. In my case, the tone was set. I was the leader and, and I was the one going to at least chime in on how things went forward. Now, I, I was submissive in that way to this man as president in his office as president. But on matters like this, I certainly just didn't do what he told. Now, I'll just say this. Today, if my lay people ask me to get up and walk out, I really I'm confident in who I am as a pastoral leader. They really feel that way. I would encourage them to not violate the Eighth Commandment, but I wouldn't have a problem getting up and going today as I would, as I did back then. What about being viewed, perceived, or even labeled as stubborn? Hmm. <laughs> what does that yeah, mean for you as a leader? I think some of the best leaders I know are stubborn. That doesn't mean that the way that they communicate is mean, disrespectful, it doesn't mean that their leadership style is stubborn. It simply means that their their personality type and, and how they interact, they're not going to simply fold. I can tell you this, over the course of my career, the more I do leadership in the church as, as bishop and president and as a parish pastor, the more I understand that there are moments that I can prevent conflict from happening by how I react to somebody else. And, and I think that's another thing. Sometimes pastors are so afraid of a lay person that maybe is aggressive to them that their reaction back to that lay person with aggression is simply a defense mechanism. I have come to grips with the fact that when people come at me with aggression, I have no need to be aggressive back. When I was younger, I kind of felt it was a defense mechanism, meaning that I wanted them to know I wasn't afraid and, and I was going to I was going to defend myself, but the older I've gotten, the more I realize that that aggression they're having with me oftentimes has many other ramifications and comes from a place that has nothing to do with me. But again, that takes maturity and time. As a district president, I've had countless conversations with pastors who have called me and asked for my advice in these very specific situations. And I remind them there is not a need to have combat with your lay people. Just because they are elevated and, and they get upset and, and angry, maybe, doesn't mean you have to. And I got to tell you, in those situations that I've dealt with people that have kept themselves very calm, it was hard for me to stay amped up when the other person I'm dealing with is very level-headed and calm, if, if it makes sense. 
And I think for me, that's one of the consistent things I've seen with the greatest leaders in my life. And that is those people who can keep themselves under control. What is that proper response to fear? Because fear is going to happen, especially when you're in a leadership position. It's not it's not like you're going to just avoid fear the whole time you're leading a group of people. What is the proper way to work through that with your congregational leadership or people who are who are leaders underneath you? Yeah, for me, the again, the older I get, the more I realize simple honesty with my people is one of the best things. Here recently, I've had a number of things post-convention, personal things in my own family, my eldest son's wedding. We have a move we're engaging in right now, homes. And and, and I just, I was honest with my people. I, I'm somewhat over, overwhelmed right now. And, and that's an extraordinary circumstance, right? I, I get it. But I'm just saying, even in fear in situations, when I was in the parish in Pittsburgh, I remember during the merger in 2008, I sat with the leadership team, three lay leaders from each church. And I just, I told them, I said, I'm, I'm not sleeping at night. And I'm worrying about how this is going to end up with all this work, 18 months worth of work coming to this voters meeting where these two churches were going to vote to merge. And I remember one of my lay people say to me, Pastor, you you constantly preach about trusting in God and trusting in his grace and his mercy. You need to hear your own words and trust that he will carry out his his grace and mercy in the life of these two churches merging. And it was somewhat, you know, monumental to me because it was so simplistic. And so I had to be reminded that which I reminded God's people on a regular basis, both sermonically as well as in Bible study, of trusting in God. And I, I think we all at moments have, have those moments in our own lives where we just wonder, God, how are you going to make this problem work? How are you going to take this situation and fulfill what Romans says, that all things work together for, the, for those who believe and trust in you? And even some of the greatest leaders in the church need to have that reminding of their own leadership and their own abilities. And and I think from time to time, a good swift kick once in a while is how God reminds us that we are not superhuman and, and that we are fallible and we need the assistance of others. But that doesn't detract from being the leader. To your question, Sarah, being honest with your people about that fear actually shows a greater level of leadership than anything else, because it shows vulnerability. And I think vulnerability in leadership at certain times, not all the time, because a a, a leader that leads from a vulnerable position is never going to be a good leader. But a leader that has those moments of vulnerability, and and this has even happened in my time as a district president. Very recently, when I told the board of directors that my wife and I are going to be moving so that my daughter could go to Lutheran High School here in Michigan, it was somewhat emotional for me because it's it's a lot of process. And, And, you know, my, my board saw that, but what that actually did is, is help strengthen our relationship because they saw that I was a, a human person that had feelings. You know? and, and for us pastoral leaders specifically, sometimes it can be robotic in the fact people don't think, oh, these guys have emotions. Of course, I, I'm a big teddy bear, actually. I'm a big man, but, but I'm actually a softie. You're allowed to have emotions? <laughs> I, nobody ever gave me permission, but I just figured it's part of life. <laughs> I want to talk more about, you, you talked about honesty and vulnerability. I want to talk a little bit more about that honesty and, and clarity and purpose as well in just a moment as we continue our conversation on leadership with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. 
I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our conversation in leadership with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership from Concordia Publishing House. In, in just a moment ago, you spoke about um, the importance of honesty and vulnerability as a leader, being honest uh, about things that, that are, well, you were talking about being honest about your own fears as a leader and how your congregation reminded you of the very thing, the very word of God that you preached to them and the, the comfort that that you needed to hear in God's word. Uh, honesty, vulnerability, and and clarity. I want to talk about clarity in purpose or clarity about your motivation for what you do as a leader. Why is it important? What can having clarity in that purpose do for you as a leader? Look, Satan will do everything he can and anything he can to thwart the gospel message. And the chief place where I've seen him do that, both in my life and in the life of the church, is with those who serve in the office of the ministry and those who serve in church work in general. And and one of the greatest things that Satan does is he causes us to look at our own frailties, our own inadequacies, our own sin, and he causes us to doubt even the, the grace and mercy that God bestows upon us. I don't know if either of you have seen the new movie, The Pope's Exorcist, with, with Russell Crowe. I just happened to watch it on the plane last week. It really does drive home this point that when dealing with the evil one, the evil one's main purpose is to cause us to see our frailties and to doubt the forgiveness and mercy of God. And as a pastoral leader, you're always out in front. Often we, we make mistakes. And so that reality of being a, a sinful human person yourself is very difficult to deal with for a lot of guys because most lay people elevate the pastor to some, some special position so that when he does have a sin situation, it's just overly dramatic for people as if in some way this is the pastor. There's no way he should be struggling with this. But in fact, in leadership, Satan wants to take out those who are who are leading God's people. And if he can take out the messenger, then he can certainly take out the message. Right? I mean, that's that's an important thing. And I think for most people, that, that really matters. That really matters. How are pastors able to come back to that purpose if they've been beaten down by whatever is happening in their congregation or personal lives. We know Satan likes to attack wherever he possibly can, especially with, with church workers. How do pastors come back to that purpose? Is it, is it a personal thing? Is it, is it a community thing? How, what does that look like? 
Yeah, you know, my colleague here at Our Savior Lutheran in Heartland, Michigan, Pastor Christopher Toma, he wrote a book called 10 Ways to Kill a Pastor. And and by the way, it, it, it's it's an amazing scenario because to your point, Sarah, it is a matter of people can chip away at the pastor and not even know what they're doing. What I mean by that is chip away at even his confidence, even his confidence as as a public speaker or as as a leader of worship. I mean, my wife has a unique ability to remind me that I was off tone on my chanting today uh, on Sunday morning worship. <laughs> and yet I have a member come out of the church and say, oh, pastor, I love when you're here. You have such a beautiful baritone voice and it's so great and you're loud and, you know, but my wife, she, she has this unique ability to humble me and say, you know, that whole second versicle, you were off by half pitch. And so, you know, my wife doesn't do it to tear me down, but congregational members can be saying the same thing in a way that's actually tearing you down. And and the premise of Pastor Toma's book is, you know, there's there's all kinds of different ways that leaders, pastoral leaders are chipped away at, and, and, and members don't even know that they're doing it. I mean, one of the things about being a pastor, and I tell this to all the seminary classes and all the um, the fourth-year students, like at Fireside in Fort Wayne, I did this in May or March, I tell them, know this, your entire life as a pastor in the church will be under scrutiny, meaning you will be judged every single day. Have the confidence that what God has called you to do he will deliver. It's not you who is doing it. It is Christ who lives in you. And, and that's, that's why the, the premise of chapter four, following will always, as a leader, following as a leader will always get you into trouble. Because if you have a strong lay person who has an agenda, and I'll give you a very quick example of this. We have a congregation who had a construction project and one of the very strong personalities was a business owner of a construction company. So, you know, in the church, we always take the easiest way forward, like water. You'll, the church always finds the least path of resistance. And so they made this person a chairman of uh, the building committee. Long story short, they embezzled a bunch of money. They built the, the building with substandard materials. They bought a bunch of materials that they used on a personal project. And, and, and the pastor, right, is the one to blame for this. When in fact, it was a strong personality of a lay person that kind of got everybody else to do this. Everybody else turned their eyes. And when the pastor called this person out, the pastor became the evil empire, kind of the Darth Vader of the church, because how dare you question? And then years later, it came out that what the pastor said was right. His accusations were true, but this lay person had such a strong personality that they were able to deflect from, from actually seeing what was going on. And so if you don't lead, and in the case, by the way, the pastor won out in the sense that he held forth and, and the family got kind of um, dismissed from the church. And then, of course, they found out all the uh, embezzlement things happened. But I think oftentimes pressure from a large personality as a layperson can cause some pastoral leaders to kind of shrink and become a follower rather than a leader. Us pastoral leaders are leading with the word of God, not with ourselves. meaning we, we, we lead with the principles of scripture and, and that, ha that has to dominate. It has to dominate. If it's not dominating, then the pastoral leader no longer becomes a leader. He becomes a follower. And what's likely to happen when one who is given to lead follows rather than leading? 
I've never seen a scenario where the congregation moves forward healthy when the pastor becomes a follower as a leader. And part of the reason for that is lay people tend to, especially strong personalities as lay people, tend to do things. And I think even pastors sometimes do this as well. They do things that are driven from self-satisfaction, right? from, from self-gratification. And, and the greatest leaders listen to divergent opinions and take them into account when they're making decisions. Whereas some leaders who don't want anybody to challenge them forge forward and they can find themselves making bad decisions and rejecting the advice of others because after all, they're the leader. But remember, great leaders are those who constantly evaluate where they're at and where they're going. And without good assistance in that, 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 that is to say like my wife, reminding you that you're, 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 you're not the best always at maybe singing or whatnot, which by the way, I still take odds with her on this. You know, it, it's just a matter of becoming submissive to a will rather than promoting the gospel message, which is, which is what's called for by God. Yeah. What, what happens with that when that call to humility maybe doesn't, doesn't always settle in that temptation to be right, especially in a place of leadership and maybe stuff is going really well for a while and you're like, hey, I'm making great decisions. What happens with that temptation to, to think that, that you're always right when you're in that space of leadership? Yeah, well, look, Sarah, this is, this is great because this is the, the last subsection in the, in the chapter four. Simply as this, don't be tempted to think you're always right. I mean, that's the advice. Just because you're the pastoral leader doesn't mean you're going to always make the right decisions. I can tell you in my career, not every time, not 100%, pretty high percentage, let's say 95% of the time, what I'm doing is motivated with purity and, and, and joy and a thoughtfulness for what's best for the kingdom of God. Subconsciously, I think we all have times when we might say that to ourselves when really we're trying to satisfy ourselves. But I have to tell you, a very large percentage of my, my personal leadership stories really come from a place of a desire to move the church forward and, and to serve the people of God. And I think if your motives are pure, it's much easier when you make a mistake to understand that it was wrong and you, you can fix it. But don't be tempted to think you're always right. Being a leader doesn't make you right. And that's a very important point for some pastors. They believe once they arrive in the, in the role of the, or the station of a leader, that's it. They've, they've arrived. And so everything they say and do is good, right, and salutary. And that's just simply not, not the case. You know, when I was a young pastor, I was circuit visitor, and the district president sent in a reconciler to a congregation that was having conflict. And, and I remember him saying to me one time in a, in a break, he said, pay attention to how the people speak about the pastor when they correct him. Because if he's not able to take correction, you know there will be conflict in the parish. And he was right on the money. If you as a leader think you're always right and nobody else can correct you, you failed before you begun. What about the opposite of that? Always think you're wrong. <laughs> no, you know, when, when people are constantly <laughs> correcting you and you always think, yeah. uh, no, always yeah, that's a great, second guessing yourself. Yeah. It's a great point. I think that's what leads 
to following as a leader. You see, so here's the two extremes. I think I'm always right or everybody tells me I'm wrong. Either way, you're in a space where in one side, you feel like all you can do is follow, where in the other space, you're just ignoring everybody's input. And I think, again, the healthy leader, the good pastoral leader, the high quality pastoral leader will always be the one who hears respected people tell them that they've done something wrong or could do something better, not as a mean to tear down, but as a mean to help get better. And I think that and, and then the question arises, well, how do you know the difference? Well, look, I have a number of people in my own pastoral life in the congregation and in the district. When they say to me, you know, you probably could have done this better. It's all hands on deck to listen to what they're saying. And I think when you care about somebody, you're going you're gonna to say to them, you know, you could have said or done this better. And, and I understand you were trying to do the best you could, but please, next time, think about it this way. And, and those are the moments in my leadership life where I never forget, right? I never forget. I'll give a quick example. When I first started out in the ministry, I had the president of my congregation come into my office and they said, Pastor, you both have met me. I'm a big fella. I'm 6'3", 275. He said, you need to sit down in a chair whenever you're talking to somebody, especially if you're counseling, because you, you have an intimidating presence. And by, because I'm a wrestler, by nature, my, my physical demeanor is to lean in. And as a big man, leaning in can scare people. And so he said, when you're standing up, you, you lean in by nature. But when you're sitting down, the chair keeps you from leaning in. He wasn't being mean to me. He wasn't telling me I was horrible. He was trying to help me. 22 years later, I've never forgotten that advice. And whenever I'm dealing with difficult situations, I sit down. So oh, it, it's also incumbent upon the listener to listen. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, you know, you need to stand up and lean forward a little bit because <laughs> there needs to be. Well, I didn't say, Andy, that I don't ever do it. <laughs> you, you know, I, 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 I could tell you a few stories there where you get into a situation where people are just being obstinate or, or, or mean. And I, I think of a congregational meeting I was at here in this in this calendar year where the people of God were just going after the pastor. And I was there and I was standing up answering questions. And this one guy got up and he started walking towards me and I walked towards him, meaning I let him know he was coming for me, but I was also to meet him where he was. And I think if you watch the interchange, the mere fact that I walked towards him, it settled him a little bit. He, he kind of slowed his pace down because he was coming with this finger swinging and here comes the bishop, right? And so there's a moment in time, I think, when you do have to at least stand your ground. But anytime I do that, it's not for me to be aggressive. It's just for me to send the message, your aggression isn't going to put me in a position of fear. That, that, that's the point. We are talking about leadership, and this concludes today's episode. We have more in this series next time. We're going to talk about learning from your mistakes because you've never made any mistakes as a leader, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being our guest today, Bishop Hardy. Thank you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. 
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.